don't. Don't open that box. What have you done? You shouldn't have opened it. You shouldn't have opened it. Open it. Open it. Open Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spin Polish Presents The Mystery Box. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I am Bartek. Bartek, a pleasure to be podcasting with you. Yes, it was a good episode. I really End of episode. <laughs> Bye-bye. We're doing our monthly show, The Mystery Vox. Um, I usually say that I'm glad that we're back and I'm enjoying that. But, but let's be honest, the last few times we've done this, rarely have I come into this with a happy feeling. And do I have that this episode? Maybe we'll find out. But Bartek, what is this monthly show of The Mystery Box? What do we do? What are we, what are we here for? What are we podcasting about? The Mystery Box is where, in real life... This is the backstory. Mm-hmm. We work our asses off to be able to afford the op shop DVDs. The mm. op shop DVDs that we bring into the mystery box itself. Mm. An actual physical box that exists. Covered in chains and we walk through the snow to go get it. Yes, you've heard the intro. We heard the intro. The, 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 the box. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have someone, every month someone, picks something from the box and uh, whatever mm. whatever DVD we end up picking, we experience. Uh, yeah, experience. Experience, and then we come on and talk about it. And that's and, this. Yeah, and we usually don't have any history with these DVDs. We, we haven't seen them before on the most of the occasion, except for like, the first episode where I saw a singular one of Wobot's Christmas. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they're completely randomly chosen. They're random to us. They... Get delivered to our eyeballs for these and, monthly shows. And can I say, I think this is the second month in a row where we forgot that this, one of these things existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Existed. So before we get into what the film is, yes. Bartek, do we have a guest? We do. We have a returning guest who's been on the mystery box before. He's waving at me. He waved. He was probably waving at me too, well, both of us. <laughs> uh, he was in our Adventures of Roborex episode. It is Lachlan Redfern. Hello. Hello, Lachlan. How are you? Pretty well, pretty well. Well, I'm glad to... Not so much during the movie, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Lachlan. You got to come here today, pick a movie at random. Yes. Did you have... Before before we talk about the movie and what was picked at random, did you have any kind of uh, hopes or dreams or expectations of what you were going to get delivered up, even though you don't know what's in the box? I was hoping for enough Robo-Rex, to be honest. I, I, I quite, en- a bit cringy at times, but I quite enjoy, quite enjoyed that. Just bad enough to be enjoyable. Don't be frightened. I'm here to help. Where did you come from? You sent me here. From the future. I was also hoping that I wouldn't select the movie that I donated to the box. That's true. Soul Plane. Soul Plane is in the box. You did not select Soul Plane, however. No. You did select Deception, which, by the way, is a real Hollywood film. It's not one of these... (laughs) Straight to video films like we did last week, last with month. David with David Keith and William Katz. Yeah, like last month we did one called Distant Cousins or Distant Cousins, and it's like a, a thriller. 
uh, straight to video. Instead, we had a thriller straight to cinema, baby, <laughs> with deception. A little disappointing how a mainstream little... this was. Oh, this was with, very mainstream. With Jackman, Hugh, McGregor, Ewan, and Williams, Michelle. I thought you were going to do what they did in the final credits, where it was... Didn't oh, right. <laughs> Ewan Jackman. No, he, ref- he flipped their names, but it was like Ewan Jackman and Hugh McGregor. Which just proves to you that they deserve their actual names because those sound so much better than if he was called Ewan Jackman. Can you imagine in the alternative universe where they had those names? Where instead we lived in a universe where it was like Hugh McGregor? I would hate that universe. That universe (laughs) would fucking suck. But thankfully we live in the good timeline where we got to watch Deception. Starring Hugh Jackman, Ewan McGregor and... Michelle Williams, Oscar caliber actors or nominated color caliber actors here, and Hugh Jackman. <laughs> because I don't think he's ever come close to being Oscar nominated, has he? Not uh, sure. Greatest Showman was something he was in that had an Oscar nomination, but I think that was about it. He hosted the 2009 Oscars. That's right. I, well, I take it back. You know what? Deception, you're back in the box. We're going to watch <laughs> it again next month. So, Deception, Lachlan, you picked Deception. Um... Quick question: Did you feel deceived after once you watched it? Not really. No. It was what no, you. Was, it was what you know. expected, huh? They should have called it expectation. I was, <laughs> I was half expecting Ewan and Hugh Jackman to have sex at least halfway through the movie, but despite tr- despite setting up this massive sexual tension between the two, that never came to pass. I was also half expecting um, Hugh Jackman to be imaginary, and they hinted at that, but no, it no, they, somewhere different. They may have lied to us about that. So they may have deceived you. Before we get into the juicy meat that is deception, let's talk about how this was found. As Bartek mentioned, we had no recollection of this movie once it was chosen. We were like, what? And then Lachlan, you said, or someone said, that Hugh Jackman and Ewan McGregor and all these people. And I'm like, what? Yeah, this yeah. Is a real movie? Yeah, Lachlan unwrapped it and <laughs> Ryan and I were in different parts of the room. He read out the title of Deception. And it's I was like, like, oh, straight to video. It's like, what? DVD slasher and then you said the actor names as well. Whoa. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Star Wars himself, Ewan McGregor's here? fuck off no this is not a real movie and then i looked at it it's a real movie like and when i say real movie i mean like a hollywood studio movie uh by 20th century fox and i there's a big explosion on the back of a dvd there is explosions that aren't like that's in the movie technically but i was about to say isn't because it isn't that kind of movie but uh deception it's deceiving my wife found this at an op shop. She mainly picked it for the amusement that there's a sticker on it that is from the uh, retail store Kmart, and it cost twenty nine ninety nine. And someone bought it for twenty nine ninety nine, which means they must have bought it at the time of release. Yeah. And I must say, am I forgetting how expensive physical DVDs are slash were? Because I swear with DVDs now. Of new releases, especially ones of, say, something like Deception. Deception, even at release, I don't even need to look this up. This wasn't like a big, big, big movie that was like a a, a superhero or big blockbuster. Usually those big blockbuster movies or the big ones that people are really clamoring for cost nearly $30 when they're newly released on DVD. But like a Deception, like Deception, a thriller movie, 
Maybe, Even when it maybe, freshly came out, the max I could see this costing you is $25. Maybe but for some was, reason, it's like nearly 30 bucks. Maybe when you bring it to the counter, they're like, hey, do you like the joke on the on the cover? The sticker? <laughs> it's a deception. It's actually 29.9 cents. And then, they, no, no, and they go, here's the, no, here's the real, here's the real thing. They open up the DVD, you look at it, and then they punch you. <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> like on The Simpsons, and then Dr. Hibbert's like, you haven't seen yourself in the mirror? Look at this. And it's just like picture frame with Dr. Hibbert, and he just punches him through the picture frame. Um, Deception. My wife found it at an op shop and she found it very amusing. Um, and so did we in some parts, but the to describe the cover, we were just talking about it before we started recording about how absurd this cover is. So it's all in black and dark. There's a Deception like that typical white font, but with some blood smear underlining it. Yeah. Some really, really bad blood smear. Like it looks like a J, like a, like a PNG that you'd find on a free site. That allows you to have transparent blood smears. And then you have the actors' names with the first name being in red and the last name being in white because, ooh, spooky. Polish colors. And for some reason, it's all in black, the background, but in the middle, you have like this giant crack of what looks like a crack in some glass? A giant crack in some glass. So it's like, ooh, okay. Something's broken here. The it's movie, damaged. The movie itself. It was a deception. And on the left-hand side, we have a huge image of Hugh Jackman's face. Huge. Just Hugh looking Jackman. like smiling and looking at us like, hey, it's me, Hugh Jackman. And on the other side, we have Michelle Williams, a bit smaller. We have a bit of her shoulders and a bit of her chest. And she's kind of looking forlornly off, off into the distance. And then we spy there's a floating head behind her <laughs> who we can barely see the face of except for there's a distinct mole on his forehead and then, oh my god, it's Ewan McGregor. And he's smelling Michelle Williams' cheek. Well, he's smelling her cheek or he's licking her ear. We don't know. We can't see. It's all in shadow. And that's who from, she's looking for lonely at. From my perspective, like you, you're you flipping the DVD around a little bit and I looked at you and McGregor there and it just looked like it could have been the top of an urn or something. Because <laughs> like it's it's like the top of his head, but also his nose is sticking out. So it's like this yeah. semicircle with a point. But here's the thing. He we re- talked about this. He reminds me of... Sorry to interrupt. He, he reminds me of that World War Two bit of graffiti that was everywhere around the Blitz London of just this man poking his nose over a wall and so going, what? No bananas? <laughs> I would love that to be Ewan McGregor, honestly. But here's the thing. We talk about this. Two things prominently. Ewan McGregor is clearly photoshopped in there after the fact. You can just tell by the fact that Michelle Williams' eyes don't have any reflections of Ewan McGregor's face right next to her eyeballs. Mm-hmm. But also, like, you can just see the outline is very artificial. But then Hugh Jackman... Who's in this movie, technically, uh, it makes it look like he's the main character, right? Like, yeah. it's his face, his name's first, but the thing is, Ewan McGregor's the main character. And Hugh Jackman kind of turns up periodically to remind you that he is not just picking he's up a paycheck, he's in the film. He's basically not in the second act. Oh, not at all. Yeah. We hear a voice of him Yeah. when he was holidaying in between an X-Men movie, but, like, that's that's it. So... The cover itself evokes some imagery, and the title, and we read a little bit of the blurb on the back, we heard erotic and sexy, and we see it's rated MA for strong sex scenes and violence. Mm. Not that strong violence, honestly. Well, 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 Lachlan, we'll get to that. Maybe the violence was really strong in comparison to the fact that there was minimal violence, and the fact that when it happens, it's so strong. God damn it, why? (laughs) Need you to listen, Jonathan. So, Bartek, 
having no recollection of this being in the box, mm-hmm. what were you expecting from Deception? Um, well, when we heard on the back of the box that it was, you know, Thriller, that was immediately the first thing I thought of. Um, I didn't look too much at the title, but when the film began and we saw it was in an office building, I thought it was going to be a bit more of like a business focusy kind of thing. Which it was. There was some aspect of it, but I, wa- I was kind of downplaying expectations of the sexual aspect. Well, what about the menu, Bartek? The menu gave you a lot of expectations that numbers would be involved. Yes, yes, on the very <laughs> edges. Like It was one of those menus where it played... Clips. A couple of clips Silently, from the film. Silently, though. Silently. No Which one... I appreciate. Yes. Um, but then on the edges, there were, like, numbers popping in and out as if, you know, like a hacking screen. You're hacking and all these numbers appear. So I was like, oh, there's going to be a lot of data. And was there? There was one scene with some data, but... This is an auditor, by the way. Our main character does audits, so there should (laughs) be more. Upload a file. Oh, file uploading is very tense. I had an expectation that this was going to be an erotic thriller. And I thought Michelle Williams was going to be far more prominent in the movie, maybe as the love interest for both men or as a femme fatale. And I thought it was going to be maybe a love triangle thing about two guys in an office. Because we meet both of these characters at the very beginning and they have a friendship. And I thought, ooh, and then a woman's going to come between them and maybe she's going to play some psychological head games or maybe they're going to do that with her and on and on it goes. And that's not what we got. Technically, technically, we kind of got a little portion of that, but not really. And I was really expecting there to be more of an office place rivalry or at least these two to be competing against one another openly in some yeah, you... kind of erotic thrill game. But we kind of didn't get that. Yeah, I made a joke earlier on because the beginning, like... 15 minutes of the film is basically like beating you over the head with look how different these two guys are but they're getting along you mean exposition it was telling you like this is who i am and this is my job and this is my philosophy and i was born on this date and i have a belly button that's an innie and i have one that's an audi and i play tennis and i play tennis kevlar and uh kevlar yeah and i made a joke like oh it's gonna be like trading places like they're gonna do be each other or something and like that's gonna be like a deception and I was, it was mostly a joke, but I thought it was going to be a bit like something between the two of them. Mm. You were deceiving sort everyone else. Of right. You were sort of, that's the thing. I was sort of right. You were sort of right. There's like these little elements yeah. of seeds that we saw and that the movie watered one tear on them and then walked away. Like, they had like a little squirt. <laughs> tear falls on that seat. Moving on. <laughs> and then another. And he just walks on and on and on. But I really thought that this was going to be more of a film in which we had... I don't know why, this sounds so silly, but I thought it was going to be a serious, erotic thriller version of that film, uh, This Means War, with Tom Hardy, Chris Pine, and uh, is it Reese Witherspoon? Or yes. Is it Reese Witherspoon? Yes. Fuck. And that's like a stupid, sleazy, silly comedy movie about two CIA agents or whatever using drones and whatnot to spy on this girl that they both like. But I thought this was going to be like that typical idea of like this love triangle, but you're using this erotic thriller office place environment to to play that out. And we didn't get that. We got instead something else. Lachlan, did you have any expectations walking in of what we were going to get from Deception? Well... 
I knew that sort of Hugh Jackman's character was probably uh, preying on uh, Ewan McGregor, and I yeah. knew that Ewan McGreg- McGregor would probably soon regret getting involved in Club Sexy. <laughs> but um, the actor I, I Ewan didn't... McGregor was involved in Club Sexy. I not didn't the character. expect the exact <laughs> the actor or schoolboy Ewan McGregor. We'll get to that. Went in. Although that might be because I just wasn't really that invested in order to guess. Oh, well, don't worry, Lachlan, because you're going to be really, really paying attention when we break down the plot of this, because this film does involve financial investments. Yeah! So... Economic stability. (laughs) That's what men want. And women. And and women. women. And women. women. We'll get to you, Charlotte Rampling, (laughs) the sexiest woman alive. For me, Charlotte Rampling's always been this icon of of sexuality and so, uh, and uh, sophistication, and it just was really just inspired casting. We all walked in with some middling expectations of an erotic thriller or some kind of office place thriller. Mm. And for the first, let's be generous and say five minutes, we did get an office place thrill ride in terms of we meet our two main characters in a very stage play-like fashion mm-hmm. in which one's working and they look like a nerd and then another another comes in and it's like midnight. Another comes in and they're a successful looking guy. You can guess which one's which, but spoiler alert, Hugh Jackman's the, the, the jock here and Hugh McGregor's the nerd. And you it's can just... tell because he's got slicked back hair. And he's Hugh Jackman. And Ewan McGregor. <laughs> no, I was talking about Ewan McGregor. He had very slicked hair. Oh, not slicked back, though. Slicked forward. Ah, okay. And Ewan McGregor watched two janitors enter a toilet, so he wasn't getting any while others were. Yeah, but they were... Yeah, those janitors. Uh, they never came back. Did they ever come? There was no toilet no paper that was stuck on the toilet. It might have been the most subtle exposition in the movie. Visual <laughs> language actually worked in this film. So the first five minutes, Bartek and I were riffing on the movie for those his very blunt exposition that was very in your face. And Lachlan, you were like, hey, come on, it's, it's you know, it's a movie. They have to give across the point very early on. And they're doing it subtly. You have to have characters ask no. each other who they are no, and what, what they're doing. What I was saying and, was you know. that the first bit was that the first part of their conversation makes sense. When two people meet up, it's Mm -hmm. quite common to ask each other what profession you are. And their exchange about their professions, it also also contained a bit of humor, and um, it gave a bit of of characterization. So that worked. What didn't work was immediately afterwards, where he's just... (laughs) Where Ewan McGregor is sharing intimate backstories. And in a sad piano place. (laughs) I see. So you were, you were poor, right? Yes, kind of poor. I was brought up by my mom on her own, and she died when I was 19. So it was kind of like a lifeline. Well, I think my problem was I disagreed with that statement you made at the time, and I still disagree now of it being good in that first part because my problem was. We know in retrospect now that Hugh Jackman is targeting this guy for a very specific reason. But Ewan McGregor doesn't know that. And the screenplay, we the audience aren't supposed to know that. But from the very beginning, I feel the artifice of why these two are talking to one another. Other than, like, just the artifice of the screenplay needs these two to converse with one another, form a friendship, and then allow the double backstab, triple turn 
deception to take place. So even when they were discussing things in a jovial manner, I did not at all believe that these two would even exchange more than two sentences to one another, and yet here they are exchanging whole diatribes, and then it went to the point in which it was like sharing psychological backstory. I'm not saying you can't have characters do this, but I felt like... Hugh Jackman Just not and immediately. Ewan McGregor. Yes, and Hugh Jackman and, and Ewan McGregor were too broadly drawn out in their character types to the point in which you go, why would they even converse more than what Ewan McGregor does with other office place dudes that you see later in the movie? He only gives them like a, a quick sentence of exchange. Why does Hugh Jackman get more? And we know in the retrospect, it's because Hugh Jackman has a very specific purpose. But on a first time viewing in the screenplay... It's very, like, on-the-nose, forced, we need to get the screenplay to go this direction. I, yeah. I thought it was because, you know, it's late at night and you, you'd you been working for hours and sometimes you just need a distraction. Yeah, I could see that too, but for me, I just felt it, and maybe because the acting was so... Um, but it just went too Overdrawn? Far. Like, I think the problem is both these guys are great actors. We've seen them both be good. Like, Ewan McGregor, Hugh Jackman. I kind of wish Hugh Jackman would do better roles more often, but I, I think he's a great actor. <sighs> Felt like they played it too much in the stereotypes of Hugh Jackman's like, I'm a rich lawyer man who's like a jock bro and I got a doobie in my pocket. You want to blaze one up and just be a bro and you and mcgregor was like i like numbers and i like to hold my hands awkwardly while i describe things and i got this awkward haircut and i've got glasses on and, and both like, of the accents were slipping at oh times. <laughs> well no i would say hugh jackman's did not slip into a very certain yeah, yeah. scene late in the I movie know, yeah, and i was like very enough. confused but you and mcgregor's you is and mcgregor off the chain <laughs> from the fucking beginning <laughs> and it makes you go here's something would this movie have been better if it was set in england what does it make a difference if this was set in New York? What difference does it make? Because both actors have more of an accent that can easily lean into a British accent. Like Ewan is from the UK. He's from Scotland or Ireland. I can't remember. But uh, And then we know Hugh Jackman's Australian. And Hugh Jackman can do a better American accent, but Ewan has always struggled with that. Even in something that we liked about Tech Down With Love, we did point out that his accent is a little bit flimsy in that, but then they make a point of that. In this, it's flimsy throughout the whole thing. And I'm not saying Ewan couldn't do an American accent or couldn't hone it down, but I'm saying, what does it benefit this movie to have it in America? Is there anything? Why could we not have this set in the UK? Because at the end, they run off through Europe anyway. Hmm. Um. Maybe because America loves sex and violence. Like Europe doesn't? So, I guess that's it. Uh, this is my report for Mr. Kruth's. Great. Could you point me towards uh, Wyatt Bose's office, please? Who? Wyatt Bose, he's one of your... Hey, quit looking down Daphne's shirt. This film has a lot of moving pieces, but we got... I think for me, I, I never moved past the first five minutes, On honestly. Like, I kept thinking about, like, how it was so dreamlike and weird because of how forced the exposition felt, because of how forced they were in their character types, and that they smoked a doobie. I can't get past that Hugh Jackman, a high-biz lawyer, his character's supposed to be, 
grabs out a joint from his pocket and Ewan McGregor, who's supposed to be a straight-laced by the books kind of guy, is like, yeah, I'll smoke a random joint with a stranger. With a cool stranger. With a cool stranger. He's a cool writer. And it's just like, why is this here? And the answer is because it's, you know, we need the characters to bond. Yeah, and Hugh Jackman laughs a lot early on. Early on, any scene he is in, he there's like a ninety percent guarantee Hugh Jackman's gonna chuckle and I mean, laugh. I, I mean, but after the villain twist, it's far more you know infrequent. <laughs> no, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> 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 I haven't felt this good since I saw Van Halen in 97. <laughs> you guys are Yeah, she's looking at his shoe. He is a cool guy, though, because when he beats Jonathan at tennis, he kisses girls. Who? Hugh Jackman? Yeah. Well, that was in Hugh Jackman's contract, I imagine. I've got to beat you and McGregor at tennis and kiss <laughs> girls. I'm not Wolverine for nothing, motherfucker. <laughs> and can I sing in the movie? <laughs> we had a big bet going on of how long, if at all, will he sing in the movie? Because Hugh Jackman is well known, as we all know, as Australians, mm. as, as people who aren't Australian. We all know Hugh Jackman wishes that he could be the music man but instead he's too much of a conventional hunky action star yeah and ryan you have a whole thing about how like every time you see him he always has to sing and there was one film you really liked that like isn't popular and he doesn't sing in that yeah he didn't sing in the prestige yeah and then in, <laughs> and this film it was like oh if he has if he ends up prisoners, yeah. if he ends up singing in this film then that's just another one my baby loves me she always makes me feel fun what do we feel about their performances in this movie and how do we feel about them as performers uh Lachlan I think they did okay for the material yeah I I, I think they're both good actors mm-hmm um, Enjoyed them in anything in particular? I think Ewan McGregor was heroic in trying to bring Gravitas to the prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman, I haven't really seen a lot of him outside of Baz Luhrmann. Oh, not even the Wolverines? I, I, I only saw the X-Men, the original X-Men movies on TV. Oh, you have to see so, Logan. Well, I have seen Logan and he was pretty good in that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really think about acting as a mm. craft a lot. I'm not sure why. Maybe, maybe it's because I don't really notice body language. Yeah. The same way neurotypical people do. I don't know. But um, yeah, they're both good actors. And I think they try to do the material well. But um, some of the cheesier lines, <laughs> you could see Hugh Jackman struggle with a bit. Oh, Hugh struggled more than best. Ewan with the cheesy lines, I think. Hugh struggled a little bit more with the cheese than Ewan. Ewan's used to it. He did the prequels. You were right about one thing, Master. 
the negotiations were short. What you have said is, these two actors, you're not familiar with them doing this type of movie? No, not really. Nor am I. And I've seen them in quite a bit, honestly. Uh, I've talked very much on the pod before about my feelings about Ewan McGregor and Hugh Jackman in the past. But to re- What are your feelings? To highlight them again, Ewan McGregor, I love that guy. I think he's a great actor, but he does projects that I do not like. I only like Trainspotting, Down With Love, and I Love You, Philip Morris, as films and his performances. I do not like the prequels, but I think his performance is truly transcendent and great. But also, I've talked about on a Star Wars episode about how problematic I also find his performance of being so genuinely Shakespeareanly good in such a piece of garbage trash that it kind of highlights bigger issues that are happening in the story and the and the production because you have somebody who's giving it their all, and then you have Sam Jackson next to him doing not like not emoting, and you're like, what? I find Ewan McGregor very frustrating because I want to like his movies, but there's nothing in his catalogue outside of those three as movies I like. I don't like Moulin Rouge. I've never liked Moulin Rouge. I'm not a huge Baz Luhrmann fan, or as Americans call him, Baz Luhrmann. I don't know where that came from. It's, it's a BA. I want to like Hugh Jackman, but he doesn't want to do things I like. So every now and then, he will do something like The Prestige, or he'll do something like Prisoner, but he likes money, so he'll do the action superhero Wolverine stuff. Sure, that's cool. But then he likes to do song and dance stuff. And I don't care for his type of song and dance musical stuff. I don't care for The Greatest Showman. I don't care for that kind of stuff. And he likes to be the heartthrob for women. So stuff like Australia, the movie, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, where he takes his top well, off. To and be you're... fair, a lot of people would want to be Wolverine. No, but I'm saying, like, I want to see him do more acting stuff like like logan was a great example and that's still wolverine but that was like the one time where you go oh fuck that's right he's a great actor like a proper proper actor not just a great action lead i want to see ewan mcgregor i mean ewan mcgregor and hugh jackman do more projects that show off their acting abilities while also those projects are actually great without them being so so or they were a shining element in a piece of crap what about you but like your feelings on ewan mcgregor and hugh our leads and Oh, just a quick say, I thought their performances were bad in this. Straight up. I thought the performance, just to give my thing, I thought they fucking sucked in this. They tried, but boy, oh boy, it didn't work. You? Uh, yeah, Hugh Jackman, I've, what I've seen him in has been fine. It hasn't been too much. If he's in a good thing, you know, I'll check it out. Uh, Ewan McGregor, though, on the other hand, I mostly knew him just as like, oh yeah, he was Obi-Wan in the prequels, and I'd heard other people say like, uh, mostly women being like, oh, he's very charming and all these other things. Wait, you, I mean, you didn't see that from the prequels? <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, maybe I was charming. just focusing on a million things when I was watching the prequels the first time. You mean the Emperor, go on. Um, but I have to say that seeing him in things like Down With Love really kind of escalated him in my mind. Like, yeah, this guy actually really knows what he's doing. I want to see more from him. Because over the years, I've discussed Ewan McGregor with you, and then Down With Love, we've said that in the episode, he's kind of shown you what I've talked about with Ewan, where it's like, he's this great guy, he's charming, he's got this look about him, he's got this demeanour. Wish he did more. Wish he did more stuff that makes you want to look at him. But, uh... And you haven't seen Train Spotting, have you? No. That's a big one that you've missed out on, a blind spot, and he's, uh, he's amazing in it, but, um... As he is, you know, and I haven't seen Doctor Sleep. Maybe he's great in that, but I've heard very mixed responses on that movie. 
But uh, what did you think of their performances in this film? And like like I said, Lachlan, are you used to them at all being in these type of movies? This um, type of movie? Well, I think I've already explained I'm not really too used to them in general. But uh, I don't think they were terrible. But like you said, it's not like they had great material to work with to really make it great. Yeah. Early, I think early on when they were you know being buddies, there was a bit of humor in that. But uh. As it went on and the film got tonally a bit weird with, and, you know, plot got a bit weird, it was hard to tell, like, what they were going for or what they were implying. I think it is hard because we all agreed that it felt like Hugh Jackman didn't exist. Yeah, and the film led you to believe that at certain points. And now that we've seen the film, and the film, spoiler alert, like, we're talking about this in depth, this... Reveals that he is real. Yeah, both the people in this film that you're led to believe might not exist end up existing. And there are many films we brought up, Fight Club and American Psycho and so on and so forth, in which things dabble with, is this real, is this not real? And that's kind of the point. I remember the phrase, fuck club, was being thrown around fuck quite club a lot <laughs> during this point in the movie. Uh, but I've got to ask this. Now that we've seen the full film, and not only just after experiences journeying through it, but now that we've finished it and we're talking about it now... What purpose did it serve to make the audience believe that Hugh Jackman was fictional at points? Because... Five minutes of suspense. I mean, my... Is I, that it? Is that all? I guess my, like, I guess it was a running joke kind of thing was, like, every time the film subverted uh, the expectation I was having or the theory that we were building up, I'd go, oh, they, they deceived me. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess deception. And I guess if someone is actually that simple-minded... Then, like, oh, that's the deception. Oh, that's the deception. Yeah. And it just stacks up and you realize, wow, this is a film full of deceptions. Yeah, I think it's just that thing of you have to go, like, yeah, like you said, Loughlin, all it's there for is five minutes of tension. And that's all it serves. And you have to go, well, as a screenwriting thing and as a film and as a story, it's hollow. Because we were not enjoying the film, I can say, right? None of us actually enjoyed this film. Only no. in only in like the making fun of it way. But one of the reasons I didn't enjoy it was the fact that the film was openly grabbing at you and going, he's not real, or shit like that. And I was going, but why wouldn't he be real? In my brain, I was going, and I was saying out loud, like, he has to be real. Like, like, But at the same time, I'd scream, like, he's not real. Because I'd say he's not real because the film's saying it in a way, but then I'd have to say he is real because what would be the reason for him not to be real? Yeah, and why... Because in all those other films, American Psycho and Fight Club and on and on and on, characters who aren't real or or could or could not be real, there's a reason and a logic as to why characters and the audience can have an assumption of this. Yeah, Even in the beat-to-beat -beat moments, not just in the full picture. And straight up, there's even the aspect of, like, they switch their phones at one point and there's different contacts in Ewan yeah. McGregor's phone. So right there, it's like, okay, well, he had to have someone to mix phones with. So, did I get any calls? <laughs> yes, you did. Right, and? Well, uh, what the hell was that? <laughs> I knew it. You met up with someone. Well, I thought it might have been you calling me back. No, please spare me. I would have done the same. Lachlan said something very interesting during the movie, and I disagreed with him, but then we then we got confronted with meeting the writer later in a special feature. <laughs> you said something very early on when it was... This movie revolves around the underbelly of secret sex clubs. 
And you said something, Lachlan, along the lines of like, oh, you know, this is like the writer's fantasy. You know, this is kind of something he sat down one day and thought about. And and he's like imagining that this is him entering this sex world. And I was like... Sex adventures of a nerd. Sex adventures of a nerd. And I, and I said, no, 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 Lachlan. I was too dismissive of that because I was too focused on how how poetic and flowery the dialogue was to the point in which I've said this before. I'm a writer writing a yeah, writing there script. Was a lot of that. And I got deceived by me thinking, no, Lachlan, you're wrong. The director, the writer's not just some sleazy perv who had a pervy fantasy about they this. They have a vocabulary. He's a guy that wants to show off how good he can write one of these cheapo thrillers with his great writing. And then we watch the special Those feature. mutually exclusive goals, by but the way. <laughs> then we watch the special feature and we met the director who looks exactly like the Ewan McGregor, the, the writer, sorry, the writer who looks exactly like the Ewan McGregor character. Glasses, kind of nervy hair parted, and he said what you said, Lachlan. He was like, I was sitting down right one day and I had a fantasy about this. And I'm like, fuck me. This is just high-end Hollywood version of those Z-grade films in which someone has a pervy fantasy and they write in the script so they have an excuse for actors to act it out. But this is like a high-end Hollywood movie where they got Ewan McGregor and Hugh Jackman and Michelle Williams to do it. Like other writers who tend to kind of explore their darkest sides within the very safe confines of their office, I was really fantasizing about what would sort of the ideal version of this feel like. What's the most seductive possibility? And to me, it's uh, people who are exactly like yourself, you know, just young urban professionals who are simply just too busy to have anything resembling a relationship and have these needs and want to see them met. This film, I guess keep thinking about this film, and I, the thing that I find very difficult about it, it's like we usually go ramping through the plot and beat-by-beat beat scenes. Mm. And usually sometimes I say to you, it's kind of perfunctory to do that sometimes because it's so hard to remember, even though we've just watched it, how the flow of movies go because of how poorly they were made. And when we say that, we are subtextually saying... It's because the film is a cheap piece of shit who didn't know how, and they didn't know how to make it. And sometimes I contextually say that. This is a high-end Hollywood film, and I still feel that problem, even though it's slickly made. The camera, you know, the lighting's relatively good. Like, it goes for a very distinct visual style. But I wouldn't say it's an ugly visual style. It's just a very distinctive choice. But the way the music's implemented, the way scenes are edited and camera movements and just general <laughs> pacing... I feel like this movie was a dream I had, and not in a David Lynch sense. This feels like a dream I had four weeks ago, and you're asking me to recollect it again. And I'm just like, ah, oh, there was a dream where... Um, you were a head and legs. I was, <laughs> I was in a building, and I was reflecting through some glass, and, and it really was, was confusing. <laughs> and I wanted a friend, and Hugh Jackman was that friend, I think. And then he went to London, and six months passed, and I didn't. It didn't felt like a day. And season looked the same in the city. And then I went to a sex club, and I met Maggie Q, and she's a very important character according to one of the therapists in the special features. But no, and that's how this movie feels. So when I say like we're going to talk about this movie, I don't think we need to strictly stick to these beat by beat as we usually do, because I think it's just this general. It's a thriller. You know what you're getting. But this. It's just sex adventures. It's Eyes Wide Shut, done by idiots. The first act definitely really is kind of sex adventures, because I remembered, because uh, when, when Lachlan picked the film, he actually read out loud the first part of the blurb on the back, and I did remember it saying that this film's a thriller, 
But at the beginning of the film, other than, like, this idea of, oh, I switched my phones and I've accidentally been solicited for sex, uh, or accidentally, as, as we're led to believe, um, it just felt like that was happening a little too much. Like, there was montages of him meeting different women, having Ewan sex. Ewan McGregor. Yeah, Ewan McGregor. And it just kept going on and on. And it's like, is... What's the point? Is there, is there going to be like a romance angle? Is this what they're leading to? Where's the where's the thriller aspect? And where's seeing, Michelle Williams? And seeing, yeah. and seeing women he'd had sex with afterwards and just smiling to himself. Yep. yep. That's me. Yep. I did that. <laughs> 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 and again, you just and McGregor, incredibly pleased. You and McGregor is made out to be so much a dweeb in this movie. There's a scene where Hugh Jackman and Ewan McGregor are standing next to each other. I swear it's like only this one scene where Ewan McGregor looks so short. He looks like a schoolboy next to him. And then that'll come back later, the schoolboy element. But Was it the ten- after the tennis game? No, it was when he um was in the office looking for Hugh Jackman. Oh, right. right. Very <laughs> early on, we get established that no one in this office place knows who Hugh Jackman is. They don't recognize his name. A telltale sign to the yeah. audience that this character is fake. How did he to, get in? How did he get in? He just wore a suit and looked successful. That's how he got in. Well, well it's just... That's I, how That's how stupid this movie is. I, I've worked in high-rise offices before. I mean, usually you need a key card to get in. I mean, you can ride the elevator up to whatever floor you like, but to get into the actual offices, you need a key card. Oh, it's because Hugh Jackman's hot. He just smiled and they went, come on. No, no, even better. He just laughed and they said, come on in. The film also did. You're a cute little boy. Come on in. And he was like. <laughs> and this is highlighting the scripted angle. The, the film also had moments where like, there's a very easy way to clarify what you want to learn. And the characters word what they're saying in such a way that you don't get to that answer. So he's yes. asking the receptionist, like, hey, can you find me Wyatt th- whatever's office? And she's like, who's that? And he's like, oh, well, he's... And then Wyatt walks in. It's like, oh, never mind. I'll just go talk to him. Yeah. If he continued the conversation, he would have learned it doesn't exist. Later uh-huh. on, he questions someone about who's Wyatt. And he keeps using the name and the... But person doesn't, doesn't recognize the name. It's a very fragile scheme. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll get to the scheme, but just to go on Bartek's point, I thought you were going to bring up. You and McGregor gets a phone call on the phone. I think that was going to be the third thing I brought up, but yeah. No, like you and McGregor gets a phone call on this phone, and you, like just to amp up on your point. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a woman on the phone saying, "Hey, are we going to meet?" And all he has to say is, "Hey, sorry, um, I'm one of White's friends. He left his phone." And I'm not, and that's all he has to say. And but he actually he, did say it. But no, yeah. he mangles that so much in which it's just forcing it so he has to say yes to this woman on the phone and meet her in real life so that the sexcapades can happen. <laughs> Thus, Hugh Jackman's plot can happen. It wasn't like it's a script where you look back and you go, oh, she was very pushy and kind of pushed him into these words. No, no, no but don't you remember? It was, he was just a dumbass. No, 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 don't you remember? He literally said, hey, uh, this isn't Wyatt. Uh, what are you talking about? And she literally said, oh, I didn't hear that like middle part or something. Yeah, like yeah. the exact part that was important. Yeah, and, and then... And then he didn't clarify it. And then he kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And I just was like, it's so forced. And then there was a part where he met up with one of the women and he was like going to explain like, hey, I'm not Wyatt. But they had to have it be like, oh, he's... He's He's blown away by her beauty. He's blown away by her beauty. She starts making out with him and now he can't say it. Yeah, because he's got a boner. And you can't say no when you're in a boner. It's like the logic. Even though this movie has weirdly very apt consensual sex rules in it. You're not who I spoke to on the phone? No, no, yeah, yes, I am. But, uh... What's wrong? Are you... are you not attracted to me? Oh, 
You're beautiful. My sister called me and I came here, but I don't. You don't. I'm not too sure what's going on. I'm not too sure what's going on. You and McGregor, Hugh Jackman, become friends. Hugh Jackman fucks off and makes it so that Ewan McGregor joins this secret sex society. And in doing so, Ewan McGregor eventually meets, again, Michelle Williams. Williams, Because early in the film, he met her at a train station and they didn't really talk. He just kind of noticed her beauty because she's a woman and she's the only real female character in the movie other than uh, uh, a detective. And Later because on. you remember everyone you see at a train station. Well, if they're Michelle Williams. That's the logic. Oh, it's a girl. In a oh, movie. In I'm a movie. always remember her. Um, six months later, I remember. Female on public transport. But the, the, then he gets in sex club, meets Michelle Williams, and they're supposed to have like a head over heels attraction into the point in which he wants to have a genuine relationship with her and break the rules of the club. Oh, wouldn't you know it? She gets kidnapped, possibly murdered. He is knocked on the head. No one believes him. He needs to find Hugh Jackman. But hey, Hugh Jackman doesn't exist. That's not a real name. No one can track him down. And it's just Ewan McGregor against society in the world. And you're thinking, oh, he's going to be framed for murdering this girl. But no, Hugh Jackman just comes back into the world and is like, hey, I'm actually real. And I'm a criminal. And I'm a criminal who appears like it's a dream, right? Like he does that thing where... He turns around and you hear that noise and there's Hugh Jackman sitting there like like how films do when things aren't real and or when it's Spider-Man and James Franco disappears behind a truck yeah. <laughs> and yeah, stuff like that. But then the plot is, hello, I'm Hugh Jackman and I'm an evil criminal man who wants you, the auditor, to audit this place so badly and steal money from them and put them in an account so that I can use it because I'm a criminal and then... Ewan McGregor's like, whoa, what do I get out of this? Well, I'll save the girl. And then he has Michelle Williams kidnapped. And you're like, whoa, where did this Taken plot come from? Also, my dialogue now has swear words, which I will say awkwardly. Not even awkwardly, dryly. <laughs> dryly. Very dryly swears. Who are you? I'm your only shot at seeing her alive again. I asked you a fucking question. Uh, yes. Take a seat. Then it becomes a detective movie where Ewan McGregor's like, I won't do what he says, but I will find out who he is. And strike him at his core by knowing his identity. And it becomes like a little detective story out of nowhere. Meanwhile, there are actual detectives in the movie that do nothing. Uh, other than, yep. mind you, they are there. And then, out of nowhere, it becomes, well, well, well. I've one-upped you, Ewan. Now you must do the scheme. And he's like, oh, all right, I'll do the scheme. And then he does the scheme. He blows up, dies, allegedly, and then the movie goes on for another fucking half an hour, 40 minutes, where it abruptly should, like, it should end. We knew as an audience, Ewan McGregor wouldn't die because he saw something and he used that later. But the journey to reveal that Ewan McGregor is not dead, actually, like he did not get murdered, and he one-ups Hugh Jackman takes so long yeah. that it becomes Hugh Jackman who becomes the main character of the third act. Yeah, like, when the explosion happens that supposedly killed him, like, Ryan, you instantly said, like, oh, the guy who was scheduled to go to his room was the one that died. Yeah. And then we spend another 20, 25 minutes for that to be revealed, and then another 10 minutes of just, oh, Michelle Williams, I love you. I love you too, Ewan, but we can't. And then the movie ends. It's a very well-crafted script. I like the fact that the character I play, Jonathan, he's not your average kind of leading man. Let's just review S and Hugh Jack 
as is Michelle Williams' character, S and Hugh's scheme part by part. First, both of them have to infiltrate this uh, high-end sex club for, you know, extremely powerful business women and men. Yes. Right? I didn't even think second, about that part. Yes. <laughs> second, Hugh has to sort of... Uh, Hugh has to infiltrate this high-rise office building without getting noticed. Somehow. Third, he has to... Yep. Third, he has to make friends with Ewan McGregor. And he has to just sort of uh, rapidly take Ewan into his confidence and build a friendship with this dweebish guy who he yes. has nothing in common Which with. Which could be a whole movie on its own. Fourth, he has to uh, switch his cell phones with Ewan McGregor in a way that seems like an accident. Yes. Fifth, he has to sort of uh, disappear. Sixth, he has to um, he has he has to cross his fingers and hope that Hewan, that this dweebish accountant is just met, decides to Answer plunge, phone. plunge, full force <laughs> into this sex club. Did you mention having to also yep. fall in love with uh, well, that the comes the yep, that, that comes yep. into a part seventh, of it. seventh he he gets S his accomplice to call up a. Uh, Ewan. Yes. Ape. He has to hope that Ewan falls in love with S, despite uh, the fact that he's sleeping with a lot of beautiful women. And at some at point, point earlier, S was supplanted into yeah, Ewan's world, I mean, like yeah. at the train station, because that's a, like a little part of like, oh, she's already been introduced to you. And somehow that has to make him fall in love with this woman, despite the fact that he's slept with a lot of beautiful women at this point, and he's <laughs> yeah. fallen in love with none of them. But that <laughs> strong first impression, though. Okay. Yes. Just because we all remember everyone that we see at a train station. Especially like two, three months ago. Yeah. Well, yep. if they if they walk past you with their mouth really open, that's pretty memorable. While looking as if they're trying to remove something from their teeth with their tongue. Yes. 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 That was a different woman, <laughs> yep. but yes. Oh, was yes. it? Yes. That, yeah. there, that was a woman in an office place. Like it was inferred, like that office place woman, him and her had sex. And it was like, uh, eh, but Michelle Williams was just normal on a train. My mistake, you know, white women. Okay. I think we're at step nine now. Step nine, sort of a hit, sort of a break in, sneak into whatever hotel he's having sex with, S with, um, knock, knock him <laughs> unconscious and, uh, yes. and just sort of a make away with S without sort of, um, alerting anyone. Yep. Or appearing on what, any security footage. Plan nine involves a five step, step plan ten. in its own right, because you have to do this ludicrous thing where it's like, one, get you and McGregor to come to the hotel. Right. Seduce Ewan McGregor in the hotel. Convince Ewan McGregor to willingly on his own go out of the hotel to collect some ice. And then five in the step plan collectively attack Michelle Williams and kidnap her, making sure Ewan McGregor doesn't come back in between that yep. moment where she disappears. And then on and on it goes. And like, make sure that the hotel reception guy doesn't notice anything. And on and on it goes. It's yeah, like, oh yeah, make step sure... nine has 16 plans yeah. within it. Oh yeah, yeah. And you missed the step of the hotel guy never noticing. As, That's what I mean. Like yeah. they have to make Was sure Was he that... in on it? No. No. We never found out. Okay. So the answer is no. All the people that didn't notice them were not in on it. And they so... just... They had to be, yeah. They had to and be so we get to step 10 or, or 16. <laughs> um, it pretends to hold S captive and then and and then extort and then extort Ewan McGregor to steal a bunch of m money, money for him while hoping that, you know, in doing step 10 to 16, he's never appeared on any security cameras, never yeah. left behind any trail, and that he can't just go back to the women that, you know, they play doubles with or. Any oh, and there was anything else, and 
There was yeah. also a step earlier where because they mentioned the photo the of plan. the photo of her being taken in his apartment was taken like way ahead of time. Yeah, so weeks. they sneak in at some oh, point. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then also It's an eleven to seventeen step. And then eleventh eleventhly, tenthly, twelfthly, nineteenth, twelfthly, fourteenthly. No and this is the thing. In all of these psycho plans, at some point, in between Michelle Williams getting kidnapped and her being revealed that she's been kidnapped, go silent for yep. days upon weeks on end in and hope. That Hugh McGregor doesn't find any evidence to support the fact that this event took place. Just pray to Jesus. And then, at some point, reveal that you did it. In Spain. In your Spain. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's later. But reveal in his apartment that you're sitting there and you did this to him. Because that's the scene where Hugh Jackman appears and he's like, you're to do what I oh, fucking Hugh, say. Hugh, yes. Hugh, yep. I'm talking about Hugh's plan. Ewan doesn't have any fucking plans until the very last scene in the movie. You have to get him and too like, deep. There's all of these weird things. And then also, in all of this, Michelle Williams has to be in on this. Yep. That's the big thing. Michelle yep. Williams has to be aware of the plan in on the plan and is down with the plan and she is until the movie decides oh that's right she's a woman and you mcgregor likes her so she must be inherently innocent because that's how women work unless they're evil vixens they have to be pure and innocent like that's the logic of this world and some scripts sometimes and that's near the end of the movie michelle williams finds out that he added another plan which is murder you and mcgregor and she's like, oh, but she was already abhorrently upset because it was like, oh, yeah, he fell in love with you. And she was like, what? Love? And she's reacting like she's never felt love before. <laughs> like she's like some kind of robot. And it felt like a scene from The Room. It had big Lisa energy in that whole scene as well. And I just was like, okay, this movie is like the most hackneyed script thing ever. But it's so pretentiously executed that we were just sitting there going like, What's the point? What what are we here for? Like, who is this character? Is he real? Is he not real? Plan. Not uh, including all the parts included in yeah, part ten. Thirteenthly, and it's just like, why are we here? And it's just because we have to see this elaborate plan unfold and see the journey of Jonathan, as they say, blossom into a Hugh Jackman type. Because at the end, he decides he's going to one-up him, slick his hair back, and be cocky and assured of himself. And it's like, oh, you see? The the quiet introvert became the loud extrovert at the end. And he's like, I'm in charge, and you need my signature. And it's like, okay, not a bad idea of getting this little accountant guy to become like a, like a fuck you, I'm better than you, Mr. Criminal Man arc. That's fine. But the problem is, at no point for me... Did I ever like Ewan McGregor in this movie? His character? Never. I could never connect to him. Bartek, could you? I mean, connect is a strong word. I thought he was okay-ish at the very beginning, but then became, you know, not much to work with. So I can't say I connected with him. I'm pretty certain that the whole purpose was to retroactively justify the sex adventures. Yes, for the writer. Yeah. <laughs> it's This is one of these films where you watch these prestigious actors kind of sleepwalk and cash a check because honestly i don't think they put a lot of effort in really mm. and none of them especially michelle williams I, I i usually think of her as a high caliber actress but in this it was really embarrassing she was really bad in this i don't know she kind of stood out as like she's not in the movie enough to show me the good parts she's got really bad parts for the small amount she's in like she just is uh you killed him it was an accident 
But you fucking killed him? You fucking piece of shit! You fucking lousy, lousy... But yeah, when the reveal is done that like, oh yeah, he fell in love with you and he's dead, all of a sudden she's like taking this like, oh, what? Really? Moral standpoint. And, yeah, and we realise like, oh, so she wasn't in on the whole thing. Yeah, it's that thing of... I think it's appropriate for her to be subdued in that scene because she's already feeling a bit guilty about what, what she's done to why? McGregor. Why? We don't know who she is. We don't know why she would I'm be I'm not guilty. saying it makes sense sense. But, but you're def justifying it when the film doesn't have any I'm reason to justify I'm justifying her acting choices, not the screenplay. But unfortunately, they become I one in the same. I think her performance makes sense. It's just not the character. Well, I uh, yeah, I guess I disagree on some level because the screenplay wants you to identify her as a good person because her and Ewan get together at the end, if, and he's yeah, a good person, and, and, and so inherently she must be a good person for him to want her because that's how this movie thinks it works. Yeah. I think it's a problem of I, I'm, why I'm, does I'm she not feel any anything guilt? in the screenplay? I, I'm I'm just trying to j say I, I I think her acting choices made as much sense as they could have. You for real? I think the very fact that we had that moment earlier where we were like listing a 17 potentially step plan <laughs> shows this idea of like, the filmmaker didn't think that the average viewer would like come up with this like timeline of events like order of events. So it's- But here's it, the thing. It's a lot to- Yet they do because they keep shoving in flashback moments to remind you how cleverly they set this up from the very beginning. So, in a way, I do agree with you, Bartik, but at the same time, I don't, because the film itself is showing you bits of the movie going, Am I we did the homework here, do you remember yeah, yeah, that? But, but and it's the, like, wait, uh, well, if you did on. the homework, let me think about it. Oh, wait, no, you didn't. Fuck you. Yeah, the film oh. wants you to repeat the steps that the film words, but Hang then on. we do our own words and come up with all of these, like, oh, so they have to take this and this and this into account. I was, I just remembered a whole step of the plan I left out. Did they strangle a woman with yes. a tennis oh, racket? Right, they yeah. strangled a woman with a tennis racket <laughs> just to let him know this could happen to her if you don't follow through our plan. So that's how they ensure that he follows through on the hacking plan. Step whatever. Find a random woman <laughs> whose name starts with S in order to point out the similarities well, Who he's had her sex with. Who's already had sex Michelle's, with. Like, like, find another... Yes, and... Strength somehow strangle them with a tennis. Oh no, racket. even better. Hire a woman from this sex club whose name happens to start with S to be the woman who phones you and up in the first place to ensue that he gets into the sex club because she's the first person he has sex with. That blonde lady there gets choked in this movie. But here's the thing she wasn't in on the crime. So how come she did the thing that you said, Bartek, where she was like, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. If she was not in, this woman that did get strangled yeah. later, she was never in on this plan. She was a genuine person of the sex club. How come then she did what you stated, which mm. was she on purposely did not hear the the name? No doubt in my mind, just narrative convenience. That's it? Yeah. That, that, no, that's, yeah, that, yeah, but that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, like, this no, film, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I agree with you. The film doesn't want you to think about it this way. <laughs> but the problem is the film is like, Tap, tap. Did you see the homework we did here for this elaborate plan? Yes, yeah, we saw we too put, much. We put the work in. And we you're saw like, the convenience. Fuck, no, you didn't. You didn't put any work in. And that's <laughs> the thing. Like, There were so many random little funny moments, like snap zooms that felt like it was the office <laughs> out of nowhere. And during scenes that weren't at all intense. Like, 
Hugh Jackman's just like, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And Ewan's like, I don't want to. And it will snap zoom. Like, that's not an intense scene. But, well, that's not an intense <laughs> mode. Like, like it would be more intense if it was like, Hugh plan, Jackman was like, we'll execute you do what I fucking say. And it zooms in when he says fuck or whatever, or say. But instead it zooms in when Ewan McGregor is like, uh, you know, I don't want to, but I guess I have to. And then does intense snap zoom? You're like, that's not why you use that for, dude. That's not the right moment. Not saying, and also it's weird because they never use those. It was too late in the movie to implement one of those snap zooms. Like at least with Quinn Tarantino, he uses those quick zooms. And they're often used for intensity or for comedy. Like Django Unchained has quite a lot of those. That's a stylistic choice because of what he was doing in terms of the period piece of the Spaghetti Western. But, like, they're intensely there and they're there throughout the movie enough to let you know this is a style that's going to be implemented. But halfway through this movie, you get a random comedy office snap zoom. The office. Yeah, uh, during, during like, the reveal of, like, I'm real and this is what I'm doing. And you just laugh. We laugh so hard. We had to rewind it. Yeah. And then they did it again later on Michelle Williams, terribly acting. I'm sorry. I thought her acting really was bad in the final scene with Hugh, in the scene with Hugh Jackman. There was a bit where she was screaming some lines and then she abruptly stopped. And it felt like, did she just stop saying her lines? And Hugh Jackman kind of stood there a little bit, like, waiting. And I was like, I don't know if this is the character or the actor. And if I'm questioning that... It's not good. You fucking piece of shit. You fucking lousy, lousy. While we're talking about stylistic elements, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by the music because mm. while this was made in 2008, it has a very 90s soundtrack, a lot of a lot of pulse-pounding techno music. Yes. Yep, that uh, played havoc with my anxiety and it it really it sort of I don't think it fit at all. No. Well, 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 I'm not saying you can't have anxiety-filled well, music, but well, the specific I, techno choice did not feel right. I thought it should and, have had a more classic and it's, choice. And it's very disappointing because, you, you know, the sound, the guy who did the soundtrack for this, I, I'm not sure how you pronounce... It was his, like an his, Indian name, his, right? Uh, he's, he's, a, he's an Iranian-German score composer. Hang on, I've got his uh, name up here. Oh, I, I, I'm not going to have any luck. Uh, well, my last name's weird, I'll do it. <clears throat> Ramin Jawadi. Ramin the... Yeah, he, he's done a lot of really good soundtrack work, and uh, he actually won a few Emmys for Game of Thrones, I think. So oh, far out. So it's sort of um, real. Well, so it... it really disappointed me to see that he'd done this. this... Maybe, maybe, maybe he need, maybe he needed to pay rent and couldn't, <laughs> <laughs> and and couldn't, and couldn't afford to give all his time to it. But um, or, or maybe, or maybe it's just. You know differences in aesthetic taste, but you know I was, I was kind of disappointed. Well, we did with the have a French filmmaker in charge of this one, so maybe it was the director wanted to have a more Euro again. Why is it said in America? Euro sensibility because it did have a very European soundtrack to it, like a very Frenchy Germany type of techno-y sound to it. Which again, why is it set in America when the music feels very Euro? No one knows. Because, because Europe is fancy and these people are 20th rich. Century Fox is like, no, it's set in New York, you fuck. Hugh Jackman doesn't want to leave New York. <laughs> like, I can imagine... That's where Broadway is. That's where Bro- That's literally where Broadway is. He's not... <laughs> in fact, we secretly filmed the scenes in Broad- on Broadway and just redid the sets to make it look like an office. We used all the scenes that didn't have singing. My friends to this day will refuse to pay for a ticket to come and see me in a musical. They say, 
Jackman, I'm not paying 75 bucks to hear you sing. <laughs> you know. So, uh, I love it. There comes a point where something very confusing happens. Ewan McGregor is not dead in the movie. He lives, and he makes it so that Hugh Jackman has to co-sign money to get the money, like co-sign at the bank to get the money exchanged into suitcases. And then Ewan McGregor reveals himself like, it's me and I'm now Wyatt Russell or whatever it was. And I'm going to sign it and blah, and you're going to give me half. And you're like, okay. And then, you know, Ewan, he won't just let you take half. Like he'll let you take it in the building, but he's going to kill you. And Ewan's like, ha ha ha, it'll be fine. And you, the audience is supposed to think, oh, well, Ewan's already got a plan for that. Well, guess what? He didn't. Because there comes a point where they go like, hey, can we have a private chat in a secluded place by ourselves? Which was weird because it was a very open park. Yeah. Don't know why. And, and the broad daylight. I and, will give you uh, half my share if you tell me where S is. And, can we talk somewhere private? Yeah, can sure. I, and Hugh Jackman's like, I've got a gun and I'm going to kill you and take your money. And that I was like... almost literally what they said. And Ewan McGregor is shocked. And I was like, oh, Michelle Williams is going to shoot him because she left. And then, bam, she shoots him. And then she doesn't want the money. And she's all like, I'm sorry. I don't know who she was saying that to because it's like, are you sorry for killing Hugh Jackman or are you sorry to Hugh McGregor for betraying or doing the thing? We will never know or care. More importantly, care. I and, care. And Hugh McGregor does an odd choice. Very odd choice. He opens up the passport of Hugh Jackman's character, which is now using his identity, Hugh McGregor's identity. He puts it in his pocket. Hugh Jackman's dying, but he's still alive. And Hugh all- McGregor decides to give him both suitcases filled with money and just leave. I think it's implied he later goes back to it who's just trying to go after S. But it was very specific. It wasn't like quickly rushed, Lachlan. Like if he was rushing after S and he was like, uh, and just left the bags quickly and you, Jackman, grabbed them or whatever, fine. But it was very purposeful and very slow and meaningful. Like it was very much like a... This is a very, like, characterful choice. Like, it was like, for me, it was like the screenwriter saying, his character's above the money and above the crime. Yeah, pretty He's much... He's in it for love. Pretty much the moment where, like, he picks up the passport. From that point on, there isn't really any clear-cut character development. So it almost seems like they're just trying to throw darts in, like, every single direction. Like, oh, he, he will give up his identity. And, oh, yeah, it also wasn't about the money. And he's going to go after the girl. Then it cuts to the last scene. and It's in, it's in some other place in time now because they're wearing different clothes and yeah. they're a bunch of Italians. And they, <laughs> they pass by in the street and we don't know what happens next. And it's like, okay, well, what do we get from that ending? And again, you ask yourself, wait, so the police know that he committed this crime and he's fled over to this country and they'll know that that's not his body. How is he going to financially support himself being an international fugitive? Oh, he won't. Oh, don't think about it. They're in love. Bye. The whole movie kind of seduces you. It doesn't rush you. It's not formulaic in that normal thriller way. It kind of just draws you in. And through the character of Jonathan, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to his plight and to what he's going through and will, will be taken into a world that they would never get to see. And believe it or not, this world exists. So the film focuses on some men and women. What do men and women want? Well, men want? and women. Yeah, men. What, what, but what do men and women want, Ryan? Well, that's uh, that's the that's the conversation of the ages, Bartok. You yeah. see, I mean, 
how about you tell me and I'll let you know as a man if that's an answer and you can then ask my wife in the other room <laughs> as a woman if that's the answer too. And at first I thought it was about love and happiness and all that, but I think something a bit more economical. Oh, we haven't even fucking talked about that. Shit. Rewind the whole podcast. Charlotte Rampling's in this movie, who's a well-respected actress. She was in Foxcatcher to list something more recent or Assassin's Creed, which is, you know, its own thing. But I think she acquitted herself pretty well here. Yeah, she's a dignified actress. She comes in as, like, one of the sex clients, and it's like, they have sex. It's implied we don't see it because they're cowards. Oh, we'll show all the young actresses who are nice and firm and young and sexy... But oh, we won't show the sex scene between him and an older lady because they're fucking cowards. And instead, we'll just have her sitting in her laundry afterwards and it would just be this very demeaning conversation. Like, you and McGregor supposed to be our hero, good guy. Is this very demeaning kind of like, why the hell are you doing this kind of attitude? Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you an old woman doing this? And she has to answer it in a dignified manner. But the way that she answers it was like, I'm in it for the same reason you men are. And I said out loud for the fun of it or like for the pleasure or for sex. And then she answers with economically. And you're like, it's like, yeah, something like, I'm sorry, where are we going with this? And it was hilarious. It's like economical satisfaction or stability and And intimacy without something. And it's like a writer wrote this. Yeah. No one speaks like that. No one just had sex with another person. Then was like, why the hell are you doing this? You're old. And then they're like, same reason you men are. And what's that? Economically satisfactory, blah, 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 buzzwords <laughs> that you use in an office. Because they do establish later that woman was like the wolf of Wall Street of women or whatever. So I guess, technically speaking, it's in tune with her character as a financier woman. But fuck you. Why do you do this? For the same reason that men do it. The economics of the arrangement. It's intimacy without intricacy. I was expecting you to critique certain other dialogue choices, such as, um, I remember you got quite a bit of pleasure out of, that wasn't lying, that was foreplay, and now you're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the worst line in the movie. How could I forget? Yeah, you Jackman fucks that, that line was also so one, bad. That was like, execute the plan or I execute her or something. <laughs> and, and right after that, it's sort of like, um, and right, right after that, I think you would have liked this, Ryan, but you left room. Right after execute the plan or execute, uh, he, Ewan says, but if I execute the plan, you'll execute me. I, why are you so upset? You were dead before I met you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. This film was really well written, It guys. was writer as fuck. Why should I trust you? Everything you told me was a lie. Oh, not lies, John. That was foreplay. Fucked. Um, now let's talk about the very important philosophical tome that we discovered in the special features. We've already my, alluded to it, my but we wife haven't said the name. decided to let's look at the special features. I said, So happy God if there's a director's commentary. There is. But then we saw there was something ludicrous before the most ludicrous thing. There was like a. There was director's commentary. The deception, the making of. Like uh, uncovering the deception. It was like a making of. But it was. That was annoying. But then we saw. The third option was simply. You say it. Club sex. No, club sexy. Oh, club sexy, yes. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> club club That's sexy. Like, club sex, you know, there's a 
simplicity and a straightforward honesty <laughs> yeah, yeah. to it. Club sexy. That sounds like something that's advertised beyond the watershed. <laughs> it, was a, it was a really great moment, I'll just say, because Ryan was still reacting to seeing, like, oh, of course there's a fucking director's commentary. His, and then I was reacting to the second no, no. thing. Club yeah, sexy yeah. And then is a better one, ad. She just scrolled down to club sexy, clicked it, and, like, the moment before it, like, cut away, we saw what she selected, and I'm like, oh, what's this? <laughs> and here's the thing, here's the thing. Although we had a small window of opportunity... What the fuck were we expecting from it? I don't know. As soon as I saw Club Sexy, no joke. We were talking about Austin Powers at one point for some reason. And yeah. I honestly thought we were going to get an Austin Powers sexy club musical dance number like you do in those movies. You know how they have the, the, the intercut scenes where they're like mm. dancing and it's like 60s and whatever. What, you mean the transition thing? The transition thing. Yeah. I thought we were going to get all like, you know how do- Austin Powers have those music videos like American Woman and you have Heather Graham. I thought we were going to get like a weird song and dance sexy musical number from key elements of the movie being spliced in and it was something weird like that. Oh, like a music I, video. I, I don't know why, but what we got was insane. We could do a whole episode on Club Sexy, if I'm honest. We could scroll this the mystery box. The Deception slash Clanned. No, no. The Deception and Club Sexy. I've like, said this. Club bo- Sexy is fucking nuts. I've, I've, I've said this before, but it sounds so much like a banner ad. It is insane. So Club Sexy is a weird behind-the-scenes special feature, even though there is already a behind-the-scenes special feature. It's like an ideological kind With two of separate sex, sex experts. One of the experts. actresses who played the detective, a random interview of Ewan McGregor from another time, <laughs> and, and onwards and upwards it goes. And a sex therapist. And, uh, we said the two, two sex, sex therapists. therapists. Oh, right, they yes, were com- yep. There was one old one and one young one. Yep. And it delves into the so-called ideological and philosophical musings of this film. Oh, and the producer and the director speak too. And, and the writer. And the writer. That's where we met the writer. A lot of retroactive justification. A lot of retroactive justifications. And there was a small character we didn't mention who was played by the actress Maggie Q, who becomes a pivotal character according to this featurette of Club Sexy. Was she having to meet this guy even at her detriment, even though it was something that was going to be harmful for her? In other words, did this behavior, this attraction for this guy, did it cause her more harm than good? And did it control her rather than her control it? Club Sexy is a weird thing because usually with a behind the scenes special, you're expecting like, oh, they're going to talk about this. But rarely do you ever get a behind the scenes special where they're breaking down the thematic stuff. Rarely do you ever get a behind-the-scenes special of that, like where they're just in there going like, yeah, the themes of this, or the ideological things of this. So actually, I kind of respect Club Sexy for trying to attempt that, but the problem is none of yeah, the things that yeah. they say are in the film, or even nod, a nod towards some of these theological ideas of of sex and intimacy and obsession and all this kind of stuff. And then we just get weird mixture of, Bartek, you know... It's not just philosophical musings. It's other stuff, isn't it? We get like a history about how this film got made from the writer talking about it. And, yeah, and is it just me or, or like I might have been projecting? So I, I might be a bit cruel to this writer, but did did he project a sort of sleaziness to you? Like other writers who tend to kind of explore their darkest sides within the very safe confines of their office, I was really fantasizing about what would sort of the ideal version of this 
feel like? What's the most seductive possibility? And to me, it's uh, people who are exactly like yourself, you know, just young urban professionals who are simply just too busy to have anything resembling a relationship and have these needs and want to see them met. Just before we were talking about, what was the older actress name? The the old the older lady that we didn't see the sex scene? Oh, oh, Charlotte, Charlotte Rampling. Rampling. They talked a lot about her in this. He's in like two scenes. And th- the big idea they had with her was that she was going to be a standout element of this film where the idea is power is the sexiest thing ever and she has a lot of power. And because as we all know, Charlotte Rampling is... Just pure sex. She's so sexy. And I was like, I'm not as familiar with Charlotte Rampling as actually. Sexuality is largely in the eyes of the beholder, but, really. But you know what they say when they say a certain actress or I, certain actor. I don't actor think any is... of us can definitively state if someone is not or not or is not. Yes, sexy. yes, yes. But the point that I'm leading to is what Ryan was saying about how the scene played out. You and McGregor was treating her weird. He was treating her like judgingly, and then okay, that's uh, fine. Okay, but, I see what you mean. But then yeah. also, here's my thing: Charlotte Rampling. I'm not familiar with her work previously. I'm familiar with her as an older actress, and I would say she's more someone who plays domineering older women and not in a sexual sense but more in just a narrative sense of like a domineering mother or a head of a business or something i'm not familiar with her as an actress but when you say she's like pure sex she's a sexy actress whatever you get a certain idea of of what that means from previous actresses or actors like for instance george clooney he has sex in his in his in his genes like when you watch him he's someone who exudes sex or tim curry for instance in terms of actors but when you say actresses you think of 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 certain actresses that are like oh yeah they're a ba-. not just they're a babe or they're sexually attractive but they exude some kind of sexuality in their performances and it, re- and and it reflects the roles that they're given subjective thing honestly but no but there are certain actresses where that's like or certain actors or actresses mm. where that's like an objective strength of theirs where you go tim curry he objectively, as an actor, exudes pure sexuality in his performances. Well, yes. That's an ob- so you're saying that's not a subjective thing. That's an objective thing. But with actresses, that's also something in there. Like Jane Fonda's early work, she was very much into sexual liberation and sexually exuding energy as a performer. She's still into that now. And even in her 80s, she'll do something like Book Club in which that movie's not very good, but she's there being like out and out proud about how sexual of a being she is. That's what I'm thinking. But Charlotte Rampling, that's not something that I'm familiar with. So I'm very curious to see if this is just another fictitious, blown up thing that these producers and these people are talking about. Or if this is something that I'm not familiar with, then maybe I could look into this. Hey, has she done things that are like, you know, where she exudes a sexuality in her performances? Because I'm not familiar. I'm familiar with her being more of a, you know, English actress who's very... Stern and proper. For me, Charlotte Rampling's always been this icon of, of sexuality and so uh, and uh, sophistication, and it just was the really just inspired casting. They're giving like this philosophical backstory about this character who is not really a character in the film. They appear in two scenes, and then they give one to Maggie Q, who appears in one scene, and again, and again, and then they and eventually get around yeah. to Jonathan. <laughs> they don't even discuss Michelle Williams. They don't even discuss Hugh Jackman. They eventually get around to our main character, but they have this weird to-do list of these other characters that aren't in it. I was expecting them to do a whole five-minute section on that one office guy who gave a weird facial reaction <laughs> in one scene that I made fun of. We had a lot and of fun I, with that. And I was saying, like, it's just this absurd thing of, like, okay. And then they're just, like, these two sex therapists are talking about sex and sex therapy stuff and sexual politics and sexual ideas that are all very interesting but they don't apply to this film. 
or they're not even acknowledged. And that's why we make a joke that this is a great philosophical tome because they're introducing a lot of these interesting or semi-interesting philosophical or, or standpoint ideas of sex and sexuality and monogamy and swinging and all this kind of stuff. But we just watch a movie where none of this is touched. This isn't eyes wide shut. This, this is just a film in which for a 10 section minute of the movie, he goes to a sex, he has a sex club escapade and then they drop that. It just goes away. Oftentimes sex is much more than sex. It can be about relationships. It can be about desire. uh, It could be about pleasure. Uh, There's so many things that come into play when we think about sex or talk about sex. And I think that was true in the film as well. It's all these weird films. And then we're going to talk about Schoolboy Ewan. Yeah. Ewan's part. I of this. had a laugh and a half you... of that. I lost it. <laughs> can I, I just I say? Nearly died. I think I felt my spirit leave my can, body. Can I just <laughs> say you pissed yourself laughing, and then the cut away from Ewan McGregor. You paused it, and you were calling your wife like Rachel, Rachel, get over here. And she was busy doing something in another room, so she like begrudging the camera like what? And then when to give she... extra wait, to give extra credit, my wife's a a high school teacher. Go on. So she came over, it's like, what is it, Ryan? You showed her Ewan McGregor in the film, and she lost, lost it. it. And she's like, he does look like a student at my like at my school, even. I was just laughing, and I was like, Ewan McGregor, in an interview, has his hair combed, he's wearing, like, a blazer and a tie and a white shirt, and he looks like a schoolboy. And he's got, like, this, like, blue background, like, oh, this is the background for the school photo or something. And he, lo- he looks exactly <laughs> like a schoolboy from the 1920s, to be precise. But also, he looks like a human version of Brahms from the movie The Boy, like, the doll in that. And... I can't get over it. I can't get over the fact that Ewan McGregor is such such a chameleon because we talked about extensively in Downward Love how fucking sexy he was in that movie. Like, just charming, but visually he was pleasing on the eyes. But then you think of him in Star Wars where, you know, they have him looking like Alec Guinness and, and stuff. But then you think of him train spotting and he looks like a heroin addict because he's supposed to be. And he's like a real shapeshifter of a guy. Like, he always has those distinctive things about him, like the, the facial moles, depending what time period you're watching it in. But in this interview, I was like, what movie was he doing where he was like, I need to play a little schoolboy? I don't know, and no, I, I never will. I, I never no, will. I'll tell you what movie, Club Sexy. <sighs> Lachlan mentioned before this movie came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. I was blown away to discover that at the end of the so credits. The 90s. I literally thought that this movie took place in between the prequel movies. So I thought it was like 2000, like a post 9-11. So I thought it was like 2004, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking mid-2000s as well. And then I was shocked shocked that it was 2008 this came out the same year as dark knight yeah so that's deception came out in 2008 i don't think any of us are saying a yes to recommending it i don't even think it's worth it for like a chuckle or two i think club sexy is worth it but (laughs) the actual feature film of deception no and club sexy doesn't really it's not as chuckle worthy unless you have the context of the movie i don't i don't agree i think it's pretty chuckle worthy even without the context because these women are discussing this thing and then they're showing the images of the movie i don't know i think it's pretty good and when you see schoolboy ewan mcgregor on its own it's amazing there are some standalone appeals to it but i think the hundred minute context isn't worth it really emphasizes the appeal for that but is that worth it hundred minutes to watch the film listen to our 100 minute episode 
episode yeah. of this episode. Again, I I had fun doing this, watching it and discussing it, but it's not a good film, and I don't recommend people picking it up in hopes of having fun themselves. No, it's not worth the time. And I'm yeah. like I said, it adds to the pile that is my frustrations with the two lead actors' choices as 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 performers and as artists. I. It just adds to this pile of, I just want to see these two actors in particular do more movies that I would act, that I can actually say are great for me personally. Like, you know, you guys can say that about Ewan and Hugh, but for me, I just like this adds to the ever growing list of things in their, in their IMDb list that I will go, not for me. It's a bummer, but that's deception for you. <laughs> yep. We were lying. We actually do recommend it. We deceived. It just it just occurred to me that the real deception were the supposed friends he made along the way. Oh, yeah. And because they weren't really his friends. It's true. There was a bit where Hugh Jackman was mentioning about friends. Like, because we're friends. <laughs> uh, so that's deception. That's our episode. Lachlan, a pleasure to have you join us to Thank discuss. Thank you. I was glad to be here. This and I emotional should thriller. reiterate that I do usually like the composer in most of the works he's done. This was one that, like, although I didn't like it, I didn't hate it in ways that I have previous. So this can oh, add yeah. to two in a row of movies I could stand. But, um... Yeah, e- even at the end when you did shout, it, like... It's it, because I was just tired. I was yeah, like, I know, why it, is it still it, going? It didn't feel like, you know, the film, like, insulted you or anything. It was just like, why are you here going still? But, uh, but it's like, next month, hopefully we get something uh, juicy. I don't know. But mm. that'll be for next month. So, listening people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. We have our Gmail, Spit and Polished. If you dare to email us, maybe you were in deception. Do you have a Club Sexy 2.0 tome that was lost in the sands of time? If not, if not, deceive us by emailing us. Yeah, emailing us. Rate and review us on whatever podcatcher allows it. And, uh... You know, usually, you know, it seems like we've kind of abandoned trying to leave the room for the time being. Like, last few episodes, we've, like, had reasons for not doing it. And honestly, you know, it's weird because this movie just made me content enough for me to be like, we can just end the episode, you know. But I mean, to be fair, this the whole thing started by me just trying making to Making it a joke. Make, no, just me trying to get you to say what was your favourite character in this thing you didn't like. Um, my favourite character in this film was sex therapist in Club Sexy. <laughs> and my least favourite part was when Club Sexy ended mm. and didn't continue as an ongoing saga. That's a Star Wars saga right there. Star Wars, a sexy club story. A club sexy story. I would I would fucking love a club sexy universe. Well, until next time, people, remember, without love, you can never, ever, ever eat or get happiness. That is true. That is true. Five years ago, at the funeral of my grandfather, I read out... Uh, you know, hymns and verses and all that. Uh, and I did it to be respectful. But you should... I thought you were going to lead with... But I should have read the transcript of Club Sexy. <laughs> no, no, I was just being randomly uh, intimate. <laughs>